Well, hey, we're going to get into our message today, but before we do that, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this season. God, thank you for seasons of, of change, although they can be difficult sometimes. Lord, there's, we can celebrate what we look back on, and we can also have hope for the future. Uh, so, Lord, we, we pray as we turn our attention to your word that, that this word would be a word that sharpens us this morning. Lord, that recenters us. We may, uh, some, of, some of us may come in just needing to hear from you this morning, uh, needing to hear some direction, needing to hear um, some correction, needing to hear um, something that you have for them. And so I pray, God, that you'd open our ears and our hearts as we talk about your wisdom uh, versus the world's wisdom, that you, would, uh, that you would speak. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us for the last few months, we've been going through a series in James. Um, James is, was the first book written in the New Testament. It was written 10 to 15 years uh, after Christ, after the, after the crucifixion, resurrection. So it's, it's, a really, it's a book written to a church that's really young and fresh and excited, and um, they haven't had all the complications that come with, with time uh, time uh, in history with people. They, um, they're, they're really fresh, and they need direction. It's a book that kind of pushes us towards maturity. And as I was reading this passage about wisdom in, in James 3.13, I was thinking about um, Pastor Tim Keller. Um, you may have, maybe you've read some of Tim Keller's books. He passed away from prostate cancer a couple weeks ago and left a huge uh, impact on the church. Uh, I've referred a lot of a lot of his books to a lot of you. Um, I always I always refer his Meaning of Marriage book to couples that I uh, I counsel. Um, but Tim Keller was the founding pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He served there for 34 years. He wrote a ton of books. They're all amazing. I don't know how someone can can write like 50 books and have them all be winners, but uh, he can. Um, but many people commented after he died that um, while it was sad that he, he died, they celebrated the fact that he ended well. You know, he ended well. He, was, he ended well with, with his wife. You know, he loved his wife till the end. He served the church till the end. Um, he loved Jesus till the end, and that's something to celebrate. And the day he died, he, he scheduled, he had a pre-recorded message go out just to his church. It was scheduled, and when he closed this message, he shared this verse from Jeremiah 45.5. He, he shared it from the King James Version, and it says, Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. So his last word to his church was to not focus on your reputation. He said many people moved to New York City to make a name for themselves. And he said, don't seek that. Don't seek greatness. He said instead, he said, do what you can to lift up God's name. Do what you can to lift up the name of Christ to the world around you. And as we turn to the end of James 3 today, we're going to see, we're going to see this difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. James talks about worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom, and he tells us that these are the two types of wisdom available to you today. There's a wisdom that the world would offer you that's centered on you, that's centered on your happiness, that's centered on protecting yourself, getting everything that you want out of life. 
because this life is all that there is. So we've got to squeeze everything we can out of this life. That, that could mean using people for our own good. That mean, it could mean using places to advance our happiness or our careers. Worldly wisdom is about our survival, feeding our appetites. It's the kind of wisdom that says only the strong survive. So be strong. And this kind of wisdom, if you become a Christian, you're still susceptible to this kind of wisdom. To make your faith less about actually following Christ wholeheartedly and more about your own health, your own life, the social benefits. Church can just be a club. But in this self-focused world, God's wisdom has been revealed in the person of Jesus. Jesus came and he shows us another way to live. Jesus shows us that a fulfilling life isn't one focused on yourself and everything you want. It's actually focused on giving your life away, giving your life away to others, and finding joy in that, finding the joy of God in the middle of that. And it was this love for his Father and a love for us that led Jesus to give his own life away on the cross and then rise again. And in a similar way, he calls his disciples to take up their crosses and follow him in this way of godly wisdom. We're called to give our lives away little by little so that we can lift God's name up. And so in my own life, I feel this tension between worldly wisdom, fighting for myself, protecting myself, versus godly wisdom, giving what I have, loving others, and they're, they're always in conflict. Um, am I going to react angrily when someone wrongs me? Or am I going to pause? Am I going to think about it for a minute? Am I going to pray? And I'll be honest, too. And when Tim Keller talks about wanting great things for yourself, I, I've wanted that, too. I had a huge plan when I was 22, graduating from college. I had a huge plan that I was going to basically have my cake and eat it, too. I was going to get, I just got a job as a recruiter for a staffing company, which I don't recommend. Um, not fun. But I was going to make a lot of money, and then I was going to do some mission work here and there. That was my plan. So I was going to do the God thing, and I was going to be really successful. And after about two years, I quit my job at the staffing company, realizing I, I can't do both. And I wasn't a very good recruiter, so that's the other thing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, sometimes we want our cake and eat it too. Even if we get into this relationship with God, we want to have, have it all. We want to be, you know, have this amazing, vibrant relationship with God and have everything we want out of life. And yet Jesus calls us again and again to this posture of surrender and not finding our happiness in the external, but finding our happiness in a relationship with him. And as we, gr and, and as we grow, grow close to God, he helps us grow close to others and reach out and make, uh, make a difference in the world around us. And so as we open up to James 3, we're going to look at these two types of wisdom. And I'd ask you today to think about which type of wisdom is dominant in your life. Which is your default? Which is the wisdom that you're operating from? So let's open up our Bibles, if you have them, or, the, the, uh, uh, or it will be on the screen here. This is James 3.13 uh, from the NIV. It says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. 
But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Good job, guys. Good job. Um, James oversees and pastors this young church that I talked about. And he shows them, as they are starting out in their faith, that there is this dangerous road that the, the world wants you to go down that, that thinks is helping yourself, but it's actually destroying yourself. And then there's the God's way of wisdom that's full of real freedom and happiness and joy. And this is a church that didn't lack for passion. They, this was the church that was there in Acts 2 at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and there were tongues of fire and, and they, they would get together and prayed for boldness and the room shook. This is a church that has experienced a lot of amazing, godly things. This is also a church that has experienced the lowest of lows. If you go to Acts 7, this is a church that watched a friend that they loved, Stephen, get stoned to death. They've seen their leaders beaten and, uh, and imprisoned. So they've been through a lot, yet, even though they've seen God in very obvious ways, they still struggled with worldly wisdom creeping in. Even though they've experienced amazing things, undeniably God at work, think, like if the room shook today, you would leave pretty jazzed about God, I feel like, right? If the walls just started shaking, like, un unless it was an earthquake, you know, I mean, <laughs> that, I guess that would be one thing. Um, but, but, but they had every reason to be excited about God, yet this wisdom of the world, it's just, it's just so present that it sneaks in. So James' words show us that this wrestling match that we experience, the choices that we have every day, uh, they're real. They're real. This wrestling match is a real thing. And so what this passage reveals to us is this. There's always danger. There's, oh, sorry. We're always in danger of abandoning the wisdom of God for the wisdom of the world. No matter how great your journey has been with God, this wisdom of the world is always kind of hanging out. Because we live in the world, and we're around a lot of people pursuing the wisdom of the world. And whether you've been a Christian for 30 years or 30 minutes, like, it's, it's there. And we're constantly tested. Um, we can have the greatest week in, uh, in the world, and we can get some news that totally... T totally knocks us on our butt you know we can lose our job right we can have a great week on friday we get that layoff notice and it just knocks us on our butt what do we do in that do we all of a sudden go to survival i'm all alone it's me against the world or do we lean into the peace of god in those moments i know growing up my dad worked in tech and he uh he got laid off a lot We'd, there were times where he would be laid off for over a year. But I always watched my parents with, with every transition just have more and more peace. 
They'd pray more into those things. They'd just trust God in the middle of that, knowing that he would provide, even when he'd be out of work for six months, a year, feast or famine. When you don't have a job to fall back on, are you uh, fighting for your survival or are you leaning into the Lord? Is it all on you or are you trusting God, even in those stressful seasons? Maybe it's not a job. Maybe you're a parent of young kids who can't catch a break. You're so tired that you're wondering, like, when am I going to get some rest for myself, right? I, I, none of you guys have experienced that, right? Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's family drama. Maybe there's just something in your family that just seems too much to navigate right now. Are you casting that anxiety on God? Or are you trying to take matters into your own hands? One of the ways we do that is we numb ourselves, right? Whether, whether that is just being on your phone or, or drinking or whatever it is. We have these ways of, of numbing ourselves instead of actually, like, trusting God. It's an active trust. It's not a passive, passive trust. So let's get to this passage, because this passage, when I read this passage, I'm like, really this week, all I have to do is read the passage. It's one of those passages that just kind of preach, preaches itself. Like, I don't really have to do a lot of, like, wordsmithing or anything like that. It's just, it's just there. James starts here. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? This is a challenge. Hey, do you think you're wise? Do you think you're wise? Do you think you're understanding? Do you think you know what you're doing? Or if you've been a Christian for a while, do you think you have the God thing figured out? James says, put your money where your mouth is. Then prove it by the way that you're living. This should be evidenced in the way that you live. It says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. James connects wisdom with humility. The Bible always connects wisdom and humility together. Other translations use the word meek, meekness. We don't really use that word as much. Maybe we use humility a little bit more. But what he's saying is wise actions flow out of a humble heart, a humble posture, a meek posture. This word that, that Jesus also used for humility or meekness is this Greek word proutes, and even at the time that this was written, um, the, both the Greeks and Romans didn't value humility or meekness in a person. That was meekness, like it many consider today, is associated with weakness. Meekness is associated with weakness. A strong person takes what they want, right? A strong person asserts themselves in a situation. A strong person doesn't get quieter, they get louder right? When they don't get what they want. They're assertive and forceful. What the Greeks saw, humility was only a virtue among servants and the, the, the people that served in the serving classes. But if you wanted to be a noble, if you wanted to be a big shot, you had to act big. You had to act big to be, you know, to be big. This, nothing's changed. This, nothing has changed. What they struggled with 2,000 years ago, it's the same attitude that exists today. That's why Jesus is so amazing. Because Jesus is the most influential person who ever lived, and he showed a completely different way to influence the world. He influenced the world by giving his life away. 
by, by, by his humility, by his meekness. Jesus showed us that the way up is down. That if you want to be the greatest, you must be the servant. you got to become the least. This is what he told his disciples in Matthew 20. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying, following me is not about asserting yourself or having authority over people. Following me is living in the wisdom of humble service. Humble service. Jesus is the author of servant leadership. You hear about servant leadership in, in, uh, in the secular world today. It's all over. Jesus invented it. Jesus invented it. He said, if you want to be a great person, you have to take on this mindset that you're going to serve the most. Seek to serve, not be served. Then you'll be rich towards God. So this is the way of godly wisdom, is humble service. And we still live in a world where we want status, we want titles, uh, we want to work our way to a place where we're not serving, but we're being served. I mean, that might not be work, but all of us want to get to a point where we're, people are serving us, right? Not being served. Maybe you have a picture of a, of a, of a boat or a beach or, or whatever it is, whatever that place is. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, I think he's talking about the redeemed earth to come, the new earth, but I think he's also talking about God's desire is to give, give authority to humble servants. In God's kingdom, he wants to give authority to humble servants, those that are looking to bless others and build them up. God doesn't want to entrust the world to people who are just going to use it for their own good. He doesn't want to give the world who are the world, the people who are looking to use and abuse people, God wants to bless the servants. And while that does play into the next life, it also plays into this life. In Luke 16.10, Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. God might give you a little bit. God gives you opportunities to serve. And, and when, you, when you are faithful with that, God will grow grow that in you grow that um, grow that ministry grow that that thing that he's blessed you with so here's the question we talk about servant leadership and give you know you might hear give 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 but here's a question for you do you trust Jesus enough to serve humbly you trust him enough he calls you to serve and your reward is only coming from him like is that enough for, for you is that enough for you? Do you trust that if you serve your neighbor quietly, if you start going the extra mile for your boss or even your spouse? No laughs. That's it. Okay. Um, if you find ways to encourage each other and others, do you trust that God sees that? Do you trust God enough to see you when others don't? Do you trust Jesus that he'll give you what you need in the middle of your serving? that you'll actually experience him more uh, when you submit yourself to him. 
I mean, it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable to serve and to give because we're messy. Other people are messy. It can be very difficult. But God tells us that he sees. He sees us. He sees what we're doing. You might be in a role that's a, a job that's really hard. Uh, you might, you might have, have neighbors that are really difficult, but God has called you to whatever it is. Um, God sees your service. God sees what you're doing. James 3 shows us that worldly wisdom does not actually lead to joy. Worldly wisdom does not actually lead to joy. This is what he says in verse 14. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come, come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Worldly wisdom is born out of this bitter envy or selfish ambition that we have in our hearts, where, where we want more, where we want more. I'm trying to think about how, how envy and ambition show up uh, in, our, in our world today. And, and I saw something this week that, that talked, they've done research about how uh, giving teenagers smartphones actually like destroys their happiness, destroys all of our happiness. But, but especially teenagers are prone to this depression, anxiety. You get on apps like TikTok and Instagram, you see these perfect lives. Then you look at your own life, and you're like, why doesn't my life look like that, right? Not many people's lives look like that, by the way. But those images shape motivation, shape desires. They say, I need my life to look like that. I want to be in a space that beautiful. I want a vacation that extravagant. I want that picture-perfect life. And all that does is create cycles of envy and bitterness. It robs you of your gratitude. It robs you of being able to see what God is doing in your life, the grace that he's poured into your life, because we're focused on the lives of others. When we can't achieve what we see, we give up. We lose hope. So it makes our hearts selfish. It makes our hearts selfish. We'll never reach a point of enough uh, if we're just looking to ser serve and please ourselves. We'll be envious, we'll be bitter, and God wants to set us free from that trap. God wants to set us free from that trap that the world would have us live in. You know, maybe you have a picture of your perfect life. I think my perfect life would be like Colorado glamping. You know what I mean? It would be like this picture-perfect cabin, and just I'd have plenty of time to do whatever I want. Hike, read, write, whatever. Uh, you know, it just would be great. It'd be great. Fish, all that stuff. That would be, and then I, I would only have to talk to people when I want to talk to people, <laughs> right? I'd have no meetings that I didn't approve. I don't, I don't know what your world looks like. That, yes, maybe in heaven, right? Maybe in heaven, I'll, I'll live in Colorado and have an amazing cabin in the new earth. I don't know. I don't know, but that's not the purpose of my life. The purpose that God has for my life is not to just, just do whatever I want to do. At the same time, I want to say this. There's a place in our lives for rest, right? There's a place in our lives to enjoy, uh, enjoy the world, enjoy what God's created. There's a that's where we find renewal often. In, in fact, God is not calling you into just like, like s slavery. 
to, to him. He's calling you into service, but he's also calling you to fully live. And so God takes us to the, the wilderness sometimes or the, wherever you recharge to recharge. It's not the purpose of your life, but God also wants you to rest. That's why he gave us a Sabbath. Sabbath was created for man, that we could not find enjoyment just for ourselves, but to see the goodness of God. Sometimes you're not able to see the goodness of God until you rest. I've had that servant fatigue, or some people call like, uh, who work in, uh, like, like my wife works for the school district, compassion fatigue. Sometimes you need to get away to see the goodness of God, right? So I'm not saying that you can't ever glamp in Colorado. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But that's not the purpose. The rest is supposed to fuel your purpose, right? It's supposed to be where you recharge. John uh, 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. You can't really serve your neighbor until you experience the love of God for yourself. I believe that. And you, you can't really be good to your neighbor until you experience the goodness of God in your own life. So God would call you to experience his goodness, and then that service doesn't come from a place of obligation, but it comes from a point of love, knowing that you're loved, knowing that, that God loves you. So if you want others, or if you want to love others well, you have to be loved yourself, right? You have to experience God's love for yourself. For you, that might be as simple as, like, resting without distractions. You know, do something that really helps you focus on the goodness of God. I think I'm going to speak to the husbands and wives in the room. You guys need to, we need to help each other out on this, right? We need to help each other out on this. We need to help each other find rest. God says, God says we need to love our spouse because they're our own flesh, right? It's like loving your own flesh. So if you're, if you're, if you're married, the first place you need to practice service is to your spouse, right? To your spouse. Sometimes, uh, maybe, maybe I'm the only one who's ever felt this way. Sometimes it feels like you're fighting for rest, right? You gotta, you, we gotta break that, right? We gotta break that, and instead of being in a place where you're fighting with your spouse for what you want, bless your spouse. Take a step forward. You know, we were talking about this book of James being intentional. Intentionally bless your spouse in a powerful way. Sometimes this is a hard conversation for marriages. I'm, we're talking about envy, bitterness, ambition. One of the places uh, this breaks apart is marriages, right? Is marriages. When envy and bitterness sneak their way into a marriage, it takes a lot of work sometimes to unwind that, to get to a place of forgiveness. And so what that's going to take is intentional conversations where you actually work together to lay that down and get to a point where you're focused on blessing and not taking. You can't have a marriage of taking. There has to be blessing in the middle of it. And there are tools that can help. There are tools that can help. Maybe you need a prompt. You need, like, questions that you can ask your spouse. Um, Bonnie and I had the gift of, like, a, a, a counseling weekend in Colorado last year. Yeah. Um, I'm not moving to Colorado. I just want you to know that. Um, 
Absolutely not. I'm not. I just want you to know that. Um, no, but we, we were gifted like a counseling week in Colorado last year. And one of the most powerful things that we were given in the middle of that time was a question grid where we, were, we, would, we would start the conversation um, meeting and asking, what are you feeling right now? Um, what do you need right now? What, what, what can you affirm um, about life right now? All these different things. There's tools like that that can help us um, help us in those conversations instead of just coming into it and getting into the same old cycle. You know, those we can have productive conversations because I'll tell you, the wisdom of the world can kill your marriage if it's all about your um, like your fulfillment. It's going to kill your marriage if it's if it's envying. If envy sneaks in there, it's going to kill your marriage. Um, it could kill your relationships. That's why James says that the worldly wisdom is demonic. Like the devil comes to seek, kill, and destroy, and, and the wisdom that he's put out into the world does just that, starting with our core relationships. It seeks, kills, and destroy. So don't buy the trap that the world wants to sell you. It can kill the life that God wants to give you. So here's the counterpoint to worldly wisdom. The upside-down wisdom of God is that there's joy in humble service. There's actually joy in it. There's life when we come to a place of humble service. The more, like Tim Keller says, the more you can forget about yourself, the better your life will be, the more gratitude you'll have for the good things that God's given you, and the deeper your connection to God will be. James says this about what godly wisdom produces in our own lives. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is what God wants to produce in our lives. He wants to produce a harvest of righteousness in your lives. In your family, your, your household would be a place um, where righteousness is produced. That, would, that affects your, your, your kids. That, moves, that, that changes everything, a harvest of righteousness. And that comes through godly character, godly character. We get different results in our lives because we're living a different way for God, for Christ. And all these things are, are not things that circumstances can change. Circumstances can't take away a changed heart. Circumstances can't change away the peace that you, you feel and the peace that you extend to others. In contrast, if we pursue happiness through external things, all those things can be taken away. And all those things will be taken away one day. If our happiness is tied to jobs, finances, homes, when we lose those things, we lose our happiness. So Jesus is offering something far greater, far better, and eternal, eternal. So a life that chooses godly wisdom becomes more and more, he says, pure, pure of heart. Pure of heart, pure motives. You know, I'll just say this. I like people who I know have good motives, right? I don't like people who are sneaky, right? Proverbs talks a lot about flatterers and stuff like that. 
God says when you chase him and chase his wisdom, you will be pure of heart. The people who are pure of heart are the people that you want to hang out with. They are. They're the people that, that, that bless without any kind of, they're not looking for something. They're not like, you know, looking for, you know, some kind of hook. Like, I'll tell you guys, I had a terrible experience this week at the Verizon store, you know. I, oh, just going into that store makes my blood boil, you know, because it's not really about helping you, right? The motives are pretty clear. Uh, anyways, I'll leave that for another time. I'm still working through that. Pray for me. Um, oh, my gosh. Um, but if we can just love from pure motives, uh, pure, like, that's freedom, right? When you're, when you're not looking to get something from somebody, right? When you're not looking to, oh, how can I use this person to get what I want to help me? You know, there's something attractive when you meet people and they have pure motives, pure intentions. They just want to help. And that's the kind of people that God wants his church to be. He wants us to be people that are there to help. So this is what James talks about, being, being, that being a person uh, that, is, that is meek, that is wise. They create peace. They walk into situations and bring peace to situations. When other people are hot, they're cool, right? Um, when, when other people want to fight, they want to love, they want to care. The church is a peace-creating entity, right? I hope when people come into these doors, they have a sense of God's peace. They have a sense that God, that, that we're not here to fight anybody, we're here to love, because that's what Christ has called us to. James says that disorder comes from the worldly wisdom, from everybody seeking their own uh, their own thing, selfish ambition. James says it creates disorder. The disorder you see in the world is, is everybody having a selfish agenda. The church is freed up from that so that we can actually create peace. I was reading a, a book about, um, it's called The New Parish. It's about these pastors in the city of Seattle um, that started going to these business meetings and wondering, like, why, why are these pastors showing up to these, like, community, you know, business, uh, business planning meetings and stuff like that. And he said, you know what people came to, to, to like and respect is that we would come in with no agenda. We weren't there to sell anything. We weren't there to buy anything. We were just there to, to help create peace. And that's a way that they serve the city of Seattle. Um, so peace creation is, is huge in the church. James says that godly peace is considerate, it's thoughtful, thinks about where others are at. Um, you know, sometimes I'm not considerate when I make jokes. I've been working on this. Sometimes I make jokes at others' expense. That's an area where God's been reining it in. Do you really need to say that joke? Do you, you really need to, to try to get a laugh at someone else's expense? It's so hard for me sometimes, but... Um, but learning, like Brian talked about last week, being slow to speak is so important. Thinking about when, what, what you say, because once you say it, it's out there, right? You can't take it back. So being considerate is so important. And then here's another word that everybody likes, the word submissive. Everybody likes that word. So, so yeah, okay. Are you guys good? All right. Um, so... Yeah, when we're, we're wise when we submit ourselves to God, when we submit ourselves 
even to authority in different ways, right? Or, or to authority. Like, we're, we're wives because we're free. We're not trying to be all things to all people. Or life's not all about us. There's joy when life doesn't all depend on me or I'm not the smartest person in every room or I, I don't have all the best thoughts or best ideas. Um, lean into people that God has put in your life. In this church, I lean into our advisory team. I lead into the CTK network. I, su I submit to them. Even the times when I think I know better, <laughs> um, I submit. And there's, there's joy in that. There's joy in that. And, and there's still productive conversations we have. Um, so James goes on. He says, the, this wisdom is also full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. It's just good. It is just good. This wisdom, um, this wisdom produces the kind of people that the world needs. The world needs people who are full of mercy and good fruit. The world needs people who are impartial. Impartial means that you can listen without reacting. You can actually absorb what people are saying. Impartial and sincere. We come back to that pure motive. Uh, we need people who are sincere. And then I love this, you know, this last verse. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. That if we submit ourselves to the wisdom of God, to, to reading his word, to following in the footsteps of Jesus, to learn from him, to learn, you know, like, like Jesus says, come and follow me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Learn from me. If we submit ourselves to learning from Jesus, then we will reap this harvest of righteousness. We will reap a harvest of righteousness in our home. We will reap a harvest of righteousness in our workplaces. We will reap a harvest of righteousness in the church, in our city, in our county. Like, that's where it starts. When we submit ourselves to learning to be like Jesus and, and adopting his wisdom. Imagine what a harvest of righteousness in your family would look like where there is disorder, right? Like in most of our families, right? Where there is chaos, where there is hurt, where there needs to be forgiveness. Imagine what a harvest of righteousness would look like, how that would change future generations in your own family. So I asked you at the beginning of this to consider which wisdom that you're operating under. Which wisdom are you operating under? Are you, are you kind of grabbing on to the, to selfish desires? Are you inflexible on those things? Because those are the things that could actually be stealing your happiness, stealing your joy. God wants to, to lead you into a life where you experience freedom and joy. And it's not tied to getting everything we want. It's tied to knowing Christ. So let's, uh, let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for your word that challenges us, that shapes us, Lord, I pray this, that, that you would shape our hearts, God, that we'd be a people of pure motive, uh, that we'd be a people that bring peace uh, where others want to fight, that we'd be a people um, that are considerate, that are full of mercy and good fruit, that are impartial and are sincere. Lord, if we were that kind of church, how powerful that would be uh, to this community. And I believe, God, that we're getting there, God. I believe that you're at work and everybody in this room. And so I pray, God, uh, more of that this week. Uh, Lord, as we pursue you, would you change us from the inside out? God, it doesn't, you're not calling us to, to try harder. You're tr calling us to trust harder. 
And so, Lord, just help us to trust you more and more. Allow that to change us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's uh, stand up. We're going to close in worship, and then we're going to uh, transition to, um, to food. So.